Hey, Chicago Fire fans, this is Nick with the Feed the Fire podcast, and this is the first episode of Feed the Fire where we get to talk about a Chicago Fire victory. The boys come back from Miami with three points, and the sun just seemed to be shining a little bit brighter in the Second City today, Monday the 27th. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to listening us, whether you are listening on Spotify, uh, wherever else you get your podcasts, or tuning in on YouTube. Thank you. Make sure you like, subscribe, rate, and review, and always follow along on social media at Glasshouse Soccer, or reach out to us via email, glasshousesoccer at gmail.com. Thank you for the support, and now we are going to break down the Fires victory in Miami. Hit a little bit of the fire news, a little news from Chicago Fire 2, and then uh, check on a couple things that happened around the league this past weekend. As a final reminder, we are brought to you by Skira Icelandic Spring Water, available at your local 7-Eleven, and we thank them for sponsoring our show and supporting us in having this great Chicago Fire conversation. Now, Diving right into the review of the match against Miami, I actually got a tweet from Spitting Fire at Fire Engine 97, uh, who gives us a great question to kick things off. What if the fire aren't as bad as people think they are, but also, what if they are? Of course, I'm putting my own inflection on that, but coming off of the Chicago Fire's 3-2 victory over Inter-Miami, their first win of the season, after a draw to Cincinnati, a come uh, a come from a head draw, I guess, uh, and then a loss to Philly and a draw to NYC to open up their season. The Fire are kind of in this weird mediocre area. That are they good or are they bad? I think that's what Spitting Fire is getting at. So let's take a look at this game. Some overarching issues that have continued throughout the season, and see if we can't answer his question at the end of the episode. So let's take a look at the goals, right? These, This is what changes the game. This is what gets the results. So let's start with the goals. Now, Mueller and Tehran opened the scoring for Chicago in the 30th and 38 minutes. Uh, Gutierrez and Shabilko get the assists on Mueller's goal. But this was a good team goal, and I think it's really the way the Chicago Fire want to play under Ezra Hendrickson. So Suquet, the right back, wins a 50-50 ball, heads it forward to Haile Selassie on the right wing, who then plays a through ball to Gutierrez. Goody takes it down almost to the touchline, plays a ball back across the center to an on-rushing Shabilko, who dummies it through to an on-rushing Mueller, and Mueller with a fantastic finish. Now, from the Miami side of things, uh, there was a lot of lazy defending, no more than DeAndre Yedlin not tracking back on Mueller, not thinking the ball was going to get through to him, or just not wanting to make the run, whichever it is. Uh, and Miami fans have roasted Captain Yedlin on social media for that one. But it's great to see Mueller and Shabilko making a hard run, and Gutierrez recognizing that turnover as soon as Suquet gets that 50-50 win and takes off to get into the channels, to get up the wing a little bit. That is the way the, wanna the Fire want to play. Direct, fast, counterattacking soccer. And that is a prime example of what I hope will occur many, many more times throughout the season. Then on Tehran's goal, eight minutes later, 
he just out muscles and outworks Miami's defenders before roofing a shot from short range. And he even got MLS uh, squad of the week honors for that. Cause you know, center backs scoring goals, that'll do it for him. Also, you, we can be critical of Miami's defense on Tehran's goal, because if you go back and watch the replay, there are three defenders who are just kind of standing around after Tehran eh, shoves off. I know Miami fans were calling for a push off. Miami players were calling for a push off. I didn't see it. It's it's MLS. It's a physical game. That wasn't even a foul. But there are still three Miami defenders who are just kind of hanging out, watching Tehran and wondering what he's going to do or what they should be doing themselves. So Miami had some had two major defensive lapses that result in these two goals for Chicago, which is part of the reason I'm still tempering my excitement on Chicago scoring three goals again, because they're as much a product of Chicago's positive play uh, and the opposing team's negative play. So I'm, I'm just tempering my, my excitement a little bit, but I'm, you take the three points, you take the goals and, and you, and you build on it right now, looking at Miami, how they get back into this match right before halftime, Negri gets one back for the Herons. Suquette gets caught napping. And unfortunately this isn't the first time that's happened this season. He's like marking the middle of the field instead of tracking the runner on the outside. And as a result, we're seeing a lot of fire fans calling for Jonathan Dean to come in as the starting right back, their new signing from USL, Birmingham, I believe, and new Loney uh, from Mexico, Aceves, to be the starting left back, and then just leave Suquette as kind of a late-game substitute if you're chasing the game, if you need to push for a goal, or if you need to get some fresh legs, and like Ezra did in this game, go to a defensive formation. Then in the 76th minute, Stefanelli levels it for Miami, it was a good cross in, but we now see ball watching by the Chicago fire defenders here. Uh, I even tweeted out a picture again at Glasshouse Soccer of the of the screenshot where you can see three Chicago fire defenders. Uh, I think it's Burks and Casas and then Chihos a little further off. I won't harp on him too much. Just kind of letting the two Miami defenders run in front or two Miami attackers run right in front of them. Uh, no one makes a play to the ball except the Miami attackers and Negri gets the goal on, or I'm sorry, Stefanelli uh, gets the goal on it. However, the fire, the fire's turn to get the game winner in stoppage time, to get the late game winner. And who else? Kai Kamara, right? Of course, Kai Kamara comes in as, as kind of a late game change of pace guy. And I'd rather he not have to bail out the fire <laughs> on a weekly basis, but I'll take it as long as he's happy to do it, right? But again, it's a turnover in the midfield. Casas for the fire immediately passes to Gutierrez, who finds Kamara uh, alone on the opposite side of the field. It was very a, a very well-executed passing pattern, uh, you know, two passes and then a shot. But really what we saw from Casas was as soon as he gets the ball, he's like, where's Gutierrez? Right, let me get the ball to Gutierrez's feet. So whether that's coached up as to we need to get it to our playmaker, to our center midfielder, or whether that's Casas just saying he's the open man and I know he's a guy who I trust to do the right thing with the ball and get it to him. It, it was the offense flowing through Gutierrez all night. Now, formationally, the fire went back to their 4-2-3-1 to start the match. We had Herbers and Jimenez starting as your defensive midfielders. Uh, so we didn't see Pineda until he was a later game sub. Federico Navarro still out. Um, but those guys get subbed out 
when the fire go to the more defensive five, four, one formation to try and preserve the point on the road. I mean, luckily they get the Kai goal to, to steal the three points there, but they go defensive and then you pull Herbers and Jimenez. Now that's interesting to me because we know Herbers is more of an attacking minded player. He does get in some good offensive areas and he, he has scored this season. Um, but Jimenez isn't really the guy you want banging shots in or making those you know, being that third or fourth option in the attack. Like he does not have a good shot from distance. I don't want him in the box because he can't make recovery runs. So he's the guy who needs to kind of stay home. And he's been applauded for being a good defender positionally, uh, getting in the way of opposing passes. Now on the counter to that, the flip side of that, he has to intercept passes because he's pulled out of his man marking position. Um, So, you know, which side of, of the Gaston Jimenez position debate do you fall? I tend to fall on the one where he's out of position and is just lucky to get a foot out and block a pass. But the, the fact that he's been pulled out when you go defensive shows that he's not fit to play 90 and or and or or and he is not meshing well uh, with the younger players on the team uh, or with some of these subs here. Right. So either way, it's concerning for Jimenez and. I mean, you got to use him because we need the players. We need someone who's got his experience, but I don't see him being a long-term solution here for the fire or a player on the squad whenever the fire do make a run in the play or make a run for the playoffs. I'm not going to say make a run in the playoffs yet. One step at a time here, Nick. All right. Okay. Now we saw what happened with the goals. We saw the fire slip into a defensive positioning uh, midway through the second half. Do, does what the fire saw, what we saw the fire do on the field. Sorry, I'm tripping over my tongue here. I just finished up watching the USMNT game and, and screaming and yelling at the TV there. Um, so I'm tripping over my tongue a bit. Please forgive me. But does what we saw the fire do match the statistics, right? Does the eye test match the stat sheet? Something I like to do every game because we always have a lot of conversation about advanced statistics in sports. And and uh, the counterpoint to the advanced statistics is, but if the guy's bad, you know he's bad. Or if it's a good play, you know it's a good play. Things that won't show up on the score sheet or in a box score, or maybe even in some advanced stats, despite all the ones we have now for soccer as well as every other sport. So I always like to kind of compare and contrast and see, right? So this definitely matched the eye test. Chicago only had about 32 33% possession. We saw their goal scoring coming from counterattacking opportunities or set piece opportunities, not so much from great buildup play, despite the few passes leading up to it. This wasn't uh, turn the ball over, play the ball back, get into it, into your offensive shape, try up the left side, nothing, bring it back, recycle it around the right side, try a long ball, try a switch. No, none of that. These, this was quick counterattacking soccer. And I think the fire want to play that way predominantly, but especially on the road. And it's reflected in the possession stats here. 17 shots, five on goal, uh, four. They did block four shots. Um, I actually saw some people giving, giving Chris Brady a hard time uh, on social media. And, you know, of course, taking social media with a grain of salt because people give everyone a hard time on social media. Uh, but I really can't fault Brady. Yes, there are six goals against him in the last two matches, but it's really hard to fault Brady when your defenders um, aren't, aren't getting in a good position to cut off a passing lane or just completely missing their marks uh, like Suquette did in this one, or like Burks and Casas did just, just ball watching. And then you have opposing players ripping shots from inside the 18 yard box. Not going to put that too much on the goalkeeper. He came up with 
five other saves this match, and he had a couple ones to prevent Miami from getting an early lead. He came up with some good saves against Cincinnati early on too. But like we've seen over the last couple of years with the fire, as good as the defense is to kind of start the match out, the fire can convert on the offensive side of things. So the opposing side will go into the second half, either level or within a goal either way. And it's just not enough for the fire to, to seal out points or a victory here. So I'm not going to give Chris Brady too much of a hard time despite all of that. Okay, let's take a look at the passing numbers because I've been kind of tracking the fire and how they're passing this this season because I thought if they are going to be better, they need to have more completed passes in the attacking half of the field or in the middle third of the field in order to spring those long passes and counters or or runs from, from the forwards or the wings into the channels, right? This, I think, was their worst passing game of their four so far. Only 278 completed passes, passing accuracy, of about 74%. Again, these numbers are from MLSsoccer.com. And I think if I recall some of the more advanced passing metrics that the fire were only completing like maybe 37% of passes in the attacking third. Um, so they did not have a lot of link up play in the final third. But again, I think we are now seeing the fire just counterattacking more so because they were on the road, but also because that's kind of their style right now. 15 crosses and four corners. Uh, I typically would expect the fire to have a few more corner kicks, um, but they, but the 15 crosses means they're just trying to get the ball in earlier. So I'm not too worried about that. And I think that kind of matches up with the eye test duels. One, this was a big one, 65 duels, one to Miami's 49. So what's that? They're getting turnovers in those 50, 50 balls, right? And they lead two goals. So that let's keep an eye on that number over the next couple of weeks to see if the fire continue to create offensive opportunities, counterattacking chances off of those 50-50 battles won. Uh, another stat that I like, one yellow card. Very happy with that. All right. Uh, and then as an advanced metric expected goals, the fire had 1.9 expected goals on this one. So they outperformed the number there. What's great is Tehran's goal was given a 6.8% chance to go in or a point. 07, uh, if you rounded up the 0.02, uh, you know, the 0.002, excuse me, my math's a little off, but the fire, uh, outperformed it, which is great, but Tehran's goal was a 6.8% chance to go in and they get the goal on that one. So awesome. Tehran makes the most of his attacking opportunity, but that shows that the fire are generating a lot of low percentage, uh, opportunities. I will say what's odd is that MLSsoccer.com gave Shabilko the assist on the Mueller goal, but then also gives him a 0.2 expected goal uh, tally on the same play because I, I don't understand how he can get both an assist and a shot uh, from the same play. But anyway, I guess that's how the stats keepers are doing it for MLSsoccer.com, um, unless they got two different stats keepers for either one of those. But yeah, had, had Shabilko actually tried to turn that one on frame rather than dumbing it through to the onrushing Mueller, he's inside the six-yard box. He's um, off center of the keeper. He's inside the six. It's going to be given a high XG tally. Um, so again, the fire are creating a lot of low probability opportunities at this point, and we need to see them get some better chances. Again, tempering my expectations on how the offense is developing. So now let's go back to our original question. Are the fire as bad as people think they are? 
Well, they look bad in long stretches of the game. And actually, I tweeted it out early on. Like, okay, this is going to be one of those games where we're banging our head against the wall at how bad they're playing for long stretches and then beautiful counterattack. And that's exactly what happened in this one. Um, so I'm. they have five points in three matches, seven goals for, seven goals against. As I mentioned at the beginning, they they played their opening game to a draw against NYC. You lose at Philly. You draw at home against Cincinnati. The two favorite teams in the Eastern Conference preseason, you get one point. Not awful. Not awful. And then you win at Miami. So those aren't terrible results. If you're looking at just results, that's not bad. I can't wait till the Fire are, you know, are playing like TFC or DC wait they're playing dc next weekend this could be the start of something it could be the first time they win back-to-back games since august of 2021 uh but these aren't terrible results the issue is how the fire are playing that for long stretches of the game they are listless in attack and when they lose their their defensive shape they give up goals. They have such a slim margin for error that it's really hard to continue this and sustain these decent results through the course of a 34-game season, plus League's Cup, plus U.S. Open Cup, plus international duty for some other players. You know, it's it's too hard to sustain it. Again, they've played some of the better teams in the Eastern Conference and have gotten some results. Hopefully, then that's the trend that continues, not kind of this poor play. The other problem that that I'm having with giving the fire the benefit of the doubt is their head coach. Prior to this game, Ezra Hendrickson was very firm with the media saying that when Shakiri is healthy, he is our center midfielder. Gutierrez will not be keeping that job. Maybe that changes after Gutierrez is involved in at least two of these goals. Right. He should have gotten two assists, I think, uh, depending on however MLSsoccer.com tallies it in the stats book but Gutierrez it's no coincidence when he's the center midfielder the fire have six goals when Shakiri was the center midfielder for the first two games they have one no coincidence and there's a road game and a home game in each of them you know so to answer fire engines question there I'm still not sold that the fire are a playoff team but there are moments in these last two games that they can definitely build on and hopefully they do that in their next match against DC United April 1st, let's try to avoid all the bad April Fool's jokes. I'm probably going to make some myself, so I'll I'll say it, but I'm going to probably do it again. Uh, Let's just avoid being the April Fool's, and let's put a win streak together. Again, the Fire haven't won back-to-back games in almost two years. Well, that's kind of our recap on the match. Right now, on the podcast side, we're going to hear from our featured guest, John Donovan. Again, a professional who played in Venezuela back in the 70s, someone who's been supporting MLS and the Chicago Fire since their inception, successful businessman in the Chicagoland area. The guy knows his soccer. So let's give a listen to John Donovan on the podcast side. And on YouTube, we're going to take a quick pause to splice in that uh, that sound. So make sure if you're on YouTube, you jump on over and find us on your podcast. Similarly, if you're on a podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Uh, now that the podcast is up and rolling, we're going to put a little more time into some YouTube exclusive MLS content. So with that, let's take a listen from John Donovan. Nick, John Donovan here talking about the Chicago Fire and the MLS. Nick, what a Saturday night. What a game. It was hot. It was Latina. 
it was Latinos, it was dancing, it was private jets taking off from the back of the, the stadium. That pink stadium rocks. And the game was spectacular, Nick. It was hotter than heck. The starting lineup that um, old Ezra put out on the on the field, which I really liked. He's finally starting to get the, the gist of this team. Casper uh, was up top. Mueller, who's playing wonderful, was out on the left. Our guy Gutierrez, who had the game of his life, was in the middle. Uh, Haile Selassie off to the right. They started Herbers in there. And Herbers, I'll always say this, is a great sub. He's not a great starter. And unfortunately, he came out at the 54th minute with cramping. I mean, it was hot. You could see these guys were struggling. Jimenez started. Again, another guy. He came out at the 74th minute and looked injured. Now, I was so pleased to see it is an international call-up. So Navarro was apparently down with Venezuela. But our man Dean from the USL can play the game. He, he fits. Nobody beats him. He's not falling down. He's not screaming at referees. He's very, very handy. I, I'd love to see him at a, a permanent spot there. Chizos played a, a very good game. Tehran, I just can't say enough of this guy. The guy is so big, so fast, and seems to be trying to control himself so well that um, I'm really, really with this guy. And Suket um, had a very, very average game. They've got to do something out on that um, right wing. So Suket, at the end of the first half, had a miserable play. When you're playing pros and you're probably making a half a million bucks, your job is to stay awake the whole time on the field, not to fall asleep a little bit. So the game started out, obviously, um, and the first really good move of the game was uh, Gutierrez into Navarro. Uh, I mean, sorry, Gutierrez into Mueller at 8.54. It was a sweet pass. Mueller ripped it away. one nothing Chicago. I mean, Gutierrez plays. He's playing with a lot of space. He's covering a lot of area. It had to be 90 degrees down there, and the kid played minute to minute, right to the very end. And at the end, he was significant. So the fire went up and and everybody was kind of like, holy mackerel. But game was going on and it seemed like Miami was playing like the fire. They were yelling at referees. They got a couple of cards. I uh, I really thought, what what's happening out here? Especially for a Phil Neville team. He's normally pretty well... Uh, pretty well under control um so the game was going on and uh gosh about 34 minutes into the game Tehran takes a uh it was a corner kick and he powered the ball into the net it was absolutely beautiful so we were up two nothing going into I think we were going into the 47th minute of the game and uh there was a corner kick or I'm sorry a cross that our buddy Suket just fell asleep. Um, uh, Miami and wing just caught, uh, trapped the ball, cut around him, scored. So the game went in halftime at two to one. I was shocked. I think the whole crowd was shocked. Um, I know Suket was shocked. You you don't play part of the game. You play the whole game. So they come back out the second half, and at. Uh, uh, 54th minute, 
the uh, the five, the Miami team goes and ties it up. So we're into a very, very tight game, and guys are falling down just with cramps. It's hot. I mean, I was watching Mueller run down towards the 80th minute, and he looked like he was running in mud. It was a very, very tough game. Um, Ezra started uh, putting guys in, which was very uh, a good move. He put in Kai Kamara for Casper, and Kamara ended up uh, big time at the very end. I mean, it was a, uh, at the end of the game, Gutierrez had a breakaway, or he had, it seemed like the Miami midfield was breaking down a lot, and Neville was going crazy on the side. I don't know where Gutierrez got the steam. Uh, Kamara had only played about 15 minutes, and Gutierrez broke down, kicked the ball out to the left, and who's standing there, Kamara, and he scores with just seconds to go in the game. I think it was into the overtime. So it was an incredible game. I mean, the guys that played so well for Chicago um, was Gutierrez. He, he just hands down is the best center mid we've had in a long time. I'm, um, if, if he doesn't start in that position next game, we've got to really just raise the roof on Ezra. He had said something apparently in an interview about it's Shaq's position. That is not Shaq's position anymore. Selassie had kind of a slippery game. He didn't do a lot. So if Shaq wants to play, he should be out there on that wing. But he wouldn't have been a help on this game last night. It was just too hot. Um, Gutierrez was outstanding. And then Tehran, I mean, you, I don't know how that guy stops. He's just, he's big, he's fast, he's dominant, he scored a goal. I mean, they have a great player in that guy. Um, and then Dean, I really like the way Dean played. He, he, um, it was such an improvement over the Navarro game. And who came in for, uh, Jimenez was Pineda. So we had four or five American players out there that really were significant people on this squad. Um, I'm going to make a suggestion to our great GM Heinz. I think, you know, we've got that open um, uh, spot that he's out shopping around. We're supposedly supposed to bring in this Greek guy that isn't even in the country yet. He will be a great addition, I think, to the forward line, but I don't want to lose Gutierrez. I really don't want to lose Gutierrez. He is the guy for the future for the fire. I would make him our designated player. That would be the move that uh, would probably shake up the, the squad a bit, but the kid is dynamite, and we wouldn't lose him to lovely Europe. So great day, great game. I hope we have a lot more games like that. We'll definitely have fans if we get that, Nick. Um, take care, Mike. Hope you're listening. Have a good evening. John, thank you again for all your comments. We really appreciate not just your support of the show, uh, your passion for the game and for the fire. Uh, and we look forward to what you have for us next week. And again, John's segment is brought to us by Skira Icelandic Spring Water. Icelandic for clear Skira water comes from a spring in the government protected nature preserve in Iceland with naturally low mineral content, it is not your average water. Clearly, pun intended, it's one of the best. And Skira is available at your local 7-Eleven. Now let's quickly take a look at some news from around the club. I wanted to focus on the Chicago Fire 2 today because they actually played Inter-Miami 2 
on Sunday. So we saw a lot of guys with first-team experience on this squad. Olmsberg went 90 minutes. Burks and Casas started that game, so pulling double duty. Uh, Bezero started this game. He went out in the 35th with an apparent knock, so we'll keep an eye on that. That's a guy I was hoping who could really step in uh, for Shabilko or maybe take some of the load off of Kai as the season goes on. I'd love to see Bezero get some more first-team minutes, but you know what? If we didn't see it last year when they couldn't score goals, I don't know if Ezra's going to play much this year. But on the positive side, new Fire 2 signing Luke Purpa gets two assists. So Fire 2 have signed probably five or six guys in the last two to three weeks or so, and they are already getting in on the, on the squad, making their impact felt. And hopefully some of these defenders and midfielders are good enough where they can step up in the next two years or so and fill in on the senior team for some of these short-term contracts that are going to be expiring. In other Fire news, uh, they're – International signing Yorgos Kutsias, who is still not with the team, but now we know why. He is with Greece's U19 squad. He scored in their 1-1 draw against Serbia's U19s. By the way, happy Greek Independence Day to everyone out there. March 25th, Greek Independence Day, uh, the March 25th, 1821, when the Greeks declared their independence from the Ottoman Turks uh, after 400 years of Ottoman rule and oppression. So happy Greek Independence Day. My family was down at the Greek Independence Day Parade on Halstead Street in Chicago celebrating. Uh, my kids were in their Greek school program saying their poems, singing songs, traditional dances. It's been a great week, and it's no coincidence that the Greeks declared their independence on the feast day of the Annunciation, uh, forever linking uh, the Greek and the Orthodox people together. So uh, with that being said, wishing everyone a happy Independence Day, blessed Feast of Annunciation, and let's hope Yorgos Kutsias can now get over to Chicago and start scoring goals for the fire. Now, a couple of things from around the league. Um, is Philly still the best team? We kind of all anointed them the front runners in the Eastern Conference preseason, and rightly so, coming off of last season. They didn't lose a lot of their, their team. They made some shrewd uh, signings and moves in the offseason. Uh, but is Philly still the best team? I'm going to say no, not right now, not in the Eastern Conference, especially after that loss to Montreal. They blew a lead like the fire would blow a lead. But we all know it's how you finish in the season, right? So I'm not writing off Philly, but they certainly would not be high in any sort of power ranking list I would ever put together right now. You know, Philly versus Orlando uh, was a good match. Uh, between two teams with trophy aspirations, and and Philly again comes up short against Orlando. One of the other games that I wanted to watch last week it was Portland versus Galaxy. Like, wow, this is a great barometer of the Western Conference. If one of these teams can kind of start to establish themselves, they've been playing really poorly. Uh, and nope, not it's a zero zero draw after a lot of uh, a lot of just bad bad soccer in that match. I watched way too much of that game and it was not entertaining at all. Looking at a couple other results uh, from around the league real quick, as I pull up my calendar here, uh, as the U.S. Open Cup gets underway, big results were the Columbus Atlanta one. Atlanta just mailed it in. I Atlanta just went, dude, half our squad's out on international duty. Forget it. We're not even going to play. Columbus said, a lot of our guys are out on injury and international duty. Time to step up our game. And Columbus hangs six goals on Atlanta United. 
Uh, New England beats DC two to one, which is, you know, maybe good for the fire that DC uh, are, are might not be in the right mindset after giving up a late game winner to New England there. Uh, going out West, we saw Jordan Morris drop four goals. He's got seven on the season as Seattle beats Kansas City four to one. Kansas City. And I thought the fire struggled on offense. Wow. Kansas City. Um, Cincinnati. One nothing went over Nashville. That is big for Eastern Conference implications. St. Louis keeps rolling. If you haven't heard it, you've been living under a rock. St. Louis now is the best start of any expansion team in MLS history. Five wins in five games, and I believe 11 goals during that stretch as well. Simply incredible. And then, of course, LAFC, Dennis Buanga coming back from Gabon and then going straight from the airport to the pitch and getting the game winner for LAFC, man. Performances like that are things that teams rally around, and LAFC is going to have this now for the rest of their season. There is no one in that locker room who's going to be able to want to take a day off or you know, kind of walk back on a player or whatever because you have an example now of one of your top players who gets off an international flight. I think I saw a tweet out there that said, it was 13 hours of total travel between layovers and flight time and travel to the stadium from the airport. And he comes in and scores the game winner. So something LAFC is going to rally around. Definitely. Those are kind of some of the things from this last weekend. If there's anything else you want me to address in our next show, as we prepare for DC United, please let me know. And again, make sure you like, and subscribe rate and review wherever you get your podcast, reach out to us at Glasshouse soccer on social media and via email glasshousesoccer at gmail.com. I really appreciate everyone listening and tuning in, and we will see you next time on Feed the Fire.